0: Well, good morning. Please open your Bible to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. This morning we will be looking at verses 1 to 2. And you're going to see the theme of conflict continue, as we have seen before in uh, Jeremy's teaching of James. In chapter 2, if you remember, we looked at uh, the sin of partiality against those who are poor. And then also in chapter 3, we saw another conflict with the dangers of uh, sinning with the tongue. And then also uh, in verses 13 and following in chapter 3, we saw the dangers of demonic wisdom. And so this is a brief passage, only I'm only going to be in uh, really basically uh, less than two verses. Um, But I think it is relevant to us. It's going to help us to uh, have some biblical strategies on triumphing over conflict, reducing conflict, and finally eliminating conflict. Uh, And if we can grasp these concepts, then I think it will benefit us in our spiritual growth. So if you look at your outline, we're going to look at internal conflict for the first point, external conflict for the second, and then winning the conflict for the third. You can follow along in your bulletin, we'll just be reading those two verses uh, in case you don't have any uh, Bible at your disposal. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of, of gathering as your saints this morning. Sitting at the uh, feet of James, as it were, as he teaches us uh, in many ways what we have already learned from our Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. And so we pray that your Spirit would be with us to give us understanding, that you would change us, that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things out of your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first point is internal conflict in the heart, internal conflict in the heart. That's your blank there. James asks a question, what is the source of our conflict? And that's your next blank. What is the source of our conflict? Sometimes it might not be readily apparent that uh, what our source of our conflict actually is. We often tend to uh, complicate matters. We might say, well, it's because I had a busy day, or it's because I was tired. That's why I I acted in this way. That's why I fought with you. But James really simplifies, we're going to see later, um, simplifies or points us to the the answer, which is simpler than what we actually think. Um, He gives a repetitive question in in verse 1. What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? It could be read, what causes quarrels among you? What causes fights among you? Other translations say, from where do quarrels come? From where do fights come? And really, it's pointing to the fact that uh, where the, what the origin of those fights and what the origin of those quarrels are. Also, James is, is pastoral in his, in his treatment of, of fights and quarrels. Uh, he doesn't say, stop it. He doesn't say, you should just get along. He doesn't say, you should manage your conflicts. He points us to the fact that we need to understand what the source of our conflicts are. And once we understand what the source of our conflicts are, then we're really going to uh, experience real change. We're going to understand real Peace. And that peace is what we see at the end of chapter 3 when he says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, let's move on to our next point. James asks a question, of course, in the beginning of verse 1, and then he answers that question at the end of verse 1. James's answer, a conflict of our desires within. A conflict of our desires within. These are passions or cravings or desires. Those are uh, all really pointing to the same uh, word that James uses. Your passions are at war within you. This is the reason why we fight. This is the reason why we quarrel. This is the reason why we have conflicts. It's because there's something going on in our hearts. And really, it's good for us to think about the fact that this conflict is ongoing, It's regular. It's ceaseless. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ has given us new hearts. And so we have, on the one hand, desires in our hearts that are godly, desires in our hearts that are right, that are good. But then on the other hand, we have desires that are unrighteous, that are ungodly, that are wrong. And he says that these uh, these passions are at war with each other. They are in conflict with one another. And there in in verse 1, he says that they are at war within us, within you. And don't we know about war? It was just a few weeks ago that 13 Marines were killed in Kabul, Afghanistan. And then only about three days later, 10 innocent Afghan civilians were killed uh, by a military mistake. War is gruesome. It's bloody, it's violent, it's obviously not enjoyable, but uh, Peter points us to the fact that, yes, James is right, passions are waging war within us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. The conflict is internal. Also, Paul says in Galatians 5.17, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There are desires then that are opposed to each other. And there are passions that are waging war against us. They're like uh, zealous soldiers that are attempting our demise. Now, I want to point you, point you to the fact that this source, of course, as obvious as it may seem, is not external. That's your next blank. The source of our conflict is not external. We often tend to uh, fool ourselves and deceive ourselves into thinking that our conflict really isn't always internal. It's not because there's a conflict in our hearts. We say things like, he's getting on my nerves. We say, boy, she really is getting under my skin. Or we say, that makes me irritated. Or, I can't stand them. See, all of those statements are pointing to the fact that the problem is without It's external. James tells us that the problem is internal. There's a conflict in our hearts. So we can blame other people. At the end of the day, the problem is within. We can blame our circumstances. We can say, and we mentioned this before, but we can say, I just had a bad day. That's why I'm so angry. Or that's why I'm a little bit on edge. That's why my temper is so short. And I want to remind you that this is the reason then for the baby crying because he doesn't have his pacifier all the way to why Hitler invaded multiple countries in World War II. James tells us that whether it's on one end of the spectrum or the other, the problem is the same. It's a conflict in the heart. And remember, James says in verse 1, is it not this? As if they already know it. You, you, know, you know this to be true. And we've, and we've heard many times uh, through the first three chapters of James that James aligns so closely with our Lord's teaching, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want to read to you what Jesus thinks about conflicts in the heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, he says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has, committed, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He says in Matthew twelve thirty three to 34 Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of... The heart, the mouth speaks. And then Matthew 15, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Christ does not say, Other people defile you, or your circumstances defile you. He says, What is in your heart, that is what defiles you. So the source of our conflict is not external. But then secondly, the source of our conflict is in our heart. That's your blank. The source of our conflict is in our heart. So the conflict that we engage in, the conflict that you individually engage in, began in the heart. And again, this is, this is a simple answer. We shouldn't be complicating it. Uh, I want to point you to three different desires. Of course, this isn't meant to be an exhaustive list, but three different kinds of desires that we may have uh, before external conflict comes about. What kind of desires are raging within us that are, that are not necessarily good, that are not godly or righteous? Number one, you could say, I want something evil. That's your blank. I want something evil. That's probably the most obvious out of all of those desires. I want something evil. We all know that it's, it's wrong to be in defiance against the Lord if he tells us to not touch something like in the Garden of Eden. Well, that's pretty clear that Adam and Eve were, uh, well, off the rocker. They weren't even trying to uh, be sneaky about it. Outright, you can't touch the you can't eat of the tree of the of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they went ahead and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But some other biblical examples would be Achan, Achan in Joshua chapter seven. This was his confession to Joshua. He said, "Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did." When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. Of course, that's direct defiance, direct disobedience against the Lord. It's an evil thing. Of course, that came after one of the commandments, you shall not covet. Okay, another biblical example would be Moses striking the rock. This is in Numbers chapter 20 at Meribah. This is what the Lord said to Moses, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And then only a few verses later, and Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him, excuse me. And a few verses later from that, and Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. Exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. Speak to the rock and he didn't speak, he struck the rock. What are some practical examples though of wanting something evil? You might want uh, ease in your life, come home, and there 's nothing to uh, work on if you 're a husband and you have maybe some projects you 've had a long day at work and you 're tired, and you 've already had to deal with uh, maybe a cranky boss, and so you come home and all you want to do is just watch television, maybe the Iowa State game is on, and you don't and you just want to be left alone. Well, the fact of the matter is it is evil to just want a life of ease because that's a life that centers around yourself. You're not looking at how to serve your wife. You're not looking at how to train your children. Your priority then is maybe I want to watch the Iowa State game and I want to sit in my Lazy Boy. And so, yes, that's, that's an evil thing to want. It could even be as simple as your wife would like help washing the dishes. And maybe you're working on a project and you prioritize your project over your wife. That seems like it's against the vows that you made to her at your wedding. To love her, to protect her, to sacrifice for her, even as Christ has loved the church. Okay, so number two, another desire, another kind of desire that may not be, something that we think of right away would be, I want something good. I want something good as your blank. Some biblical examples for this kind of desire would be Sarah with Abraham. They had waited a long time to have children, and Sarah was growing impatient, and she had offered Hagar, her servant, for Abraham to lie with to have children. Now, of course, the sin of adultery is wrong, but the desire for children is good. But she had placed that desire <clears throat> as the priority, and she says in Genesis sixteen five to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. She's quarreling. She's fighting with Abram, even though her initial desire was good. Another example of of this good desire that actually can be bad because we're taking the wrong steps or the wrong route in order to fulfill that desire would be in Matthew 16 with Peter. And, of course, we all know this, this exchange Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. That's in reference to the crucifixion. The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of evil men, suffer many things, and on the third day be raised. But Peter wants him to be protected. He wants the Messiah to rule and reign now. Well, that's a good desire for the Messiah to rule and reign now. That's what many of the Jews even wanted during the earthly ministry of Jesus. But Peter had elevated that desire for the Messiah to rule and reign now above the plan of God. And that's, of course, why Jesus had called him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Yes, in other words, yes, it's good for you to want the Messiah to rule and reign. I will reign, not now. Listen to my words Let me go to the cross. I must do this. How about some practical examples of this? You might want obedient children. That's always a good thing to want. Doesn't the Bible say, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right? Well, then maybe I'll just cudgel them into obedience. Clean up your toys. Stop watching TV. Do your chores. Stop being so lazy. Now that's you're not going, uh, you're not using biblical means. You're not using God's method of achieving those desires or fulfilling those desires, but rather you're, you're, you're using ungodly wisdom, demonic wisdom, in order to get them uh, to obey. Also, a respectful wife. You might want a respectful wife. I do. But there are ways that we can treat our wives that are unhelpful and sinful. We can belittle her if she's not doing a great job at washing the dishes or you come home and the house is not as clean as you'd like it to be. You can speak down to her and not treat her like the weaker vessel. Okay, let's move on to the next Desire, and that is, I do not want what I fear. I do not want what I fear. This is really kind of inverted desire. You do desire something, but it has to do primarily with fear. And again, this is part of the conflict that is going on in the heart. Some biblical examples of that would be first. Samuel chapter 15, this is when Saul was commanded to rid the, uh, the earth of the Amalekites, to kill all of the, the animals, and Nathan confronts him about only obeying partially. He says in 1 Samuel 15, this is what Saul says to Samuel, excuse me, it was not Nathan, it was Samuel. He says, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He doesn't say, I feared God and obeyed his voice by obeying all the way. He says, I feared the people. They wanted something, and God wanted something. So I can have both, right? That's not true, or that's not right. It's not proper. Again, he's using the wrong means to fulfill that desire. Okay, another one would be the parents of that blind man uh, healed of blindness in John chapter 9. His parents are are asked by the Jews, tell us what happened. Who healed him? And his parents refused to uh, defend him, refused to... Uh, tell uh, these Jews about Christ and His power of, of miracle because they feared the Jews. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. I don't want to be put out of the synagogue, so I won't say anything. You can just talk to somebody else. I'd be a little bit embarrassed if I actually said what other people would say. It might be a little bit of a sacrifice. Okay, what are some practical examples of that? Could be in evangelism. I experienced that many times. I don't want to look like a weirdo. I don't want to be ostracized. So I don't really want to tell people that I believe in Jesus or I actually really believe what the Bible says. Or, I don't want to be late to church. Boy, that'd be bad. Starts at 9 o'clock. Or, the children need to be disciplined, but I'm in the grocery store. And other people are looking at me. Man, and my blood pressure is rising. I don't like this. They don't like this. I want to get out of Dodge and just go to the car. So I'm going to Fear the ridicule of man. That's what it comes down to. I I fear men looking at me strangely. I fear men more than God. I think all of us would have those desires. I want something good, but I'm taking the wrong route to get it. I want something evil. And of course, it doesn't really matter what the route is. If you want something evil, it's going to be evil regardless. And then... Another desire, I, don't, I do not want what I fear. So let's move on to the second point, external conflict with others. So James asks the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And then he answers that. Is it not this? Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ did teach this, that your external actions are only a reflection of what is going on in your heart. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And then he tells us how that conflict progresses. It starts in the heart, and then it ends in fighting and quarreling with other people. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So your first point, from desire to murder. From desire to murder. And this might seem like an exaggeration to some of us. Desire to murder? I I don't want to murder someone. I don't really want to kill them. I mean... It's only that I'm just a little bit irritated. But this isn't hyperbole. It's, uh, James, I don't think, is either, uh, he's not being literal either. I don't think that people are actually killing each other in the church. But he does put our sin in its proper light. We tend to minimize our sin, don't we? As I said before, we tend to say things like, well, I've, I've been tired and I've I've had a bad day and that's why I'm doing it or uh, I've told a little white lie or I told a little fib. But James puts it in the proper light. It really is when we have conflicts with other people, when we don't get what we want, the person that we are interacting with becomes the enemy. The person who... Stands in the way of the fulfillment of our desires becomes our enemy. I want to point you to two two things. The first one is things are worse than you think with regard to that desire, uh, bad desire, and then uh, resulting in murder. Things are worse than you think. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. You have, heard it, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Jesus really is saying uh, almost the same as what James is saying here in verse 2. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And James even speaks in the same way in chapter 5, verse 6. And this is with regard to the rich who are mistreating the poor. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, he does not resist you. And I think the way that those rich people are murdering the poor people are by them keeping back by fraud. Their wages. They refuse to give them a paycheck and therefore they are murdering them. But what Jesus is saying, what James is saying, is essentially our fights and our quarrels, if we're willing to fight for getting what we actually want, then that's tantamount to murder. Let's talk about two examples, two examples of uh, practical examples of what that would look like in our lives. The first one we've already mentioned briefly, it would be the uh, situation of a baby. Okay, maybe you take away the pacifier from a baby, or you take away its milk, two things that are much loved by every child. Now that baby is going to have uh, his legs and his arms kicking and punching the air. And uh, there's really not going to be any consoling that child unless that child gets what he or she wants. Okay, so what happened in that situation? The child wanted something, and because he didn't get it, he started to fight for it. So circling back to our passage then, what that looks like biblically is the child wanted something good. Isn't it good to want a pacifier as a child? It comforts you, reminds you of your closeness with mom. But it's, it, it was willing to murder his, uh, his or her mother in order to get it. And really, it's not any different when it comes to the way that we fight and the way that we quarrel. It's just that we have a little bit more of a mature version of punching the air because we don't want to be uh, losing integrity or something. Okay, another uh, situation then would be somebody driving on his way to work. Maybe he leaves late. He knows that he should have left earlier, but he leaves late and he's in traffic. And the traffic slows. Maybe there's a traffic jam. He starts to get a little bit irritated at the traffic jam because he knows he has to get to work and he doesn't want to call his boss and actually tell him, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. And then somebody forgets to turn, put their turning signal on. He gets even more irritated. Okay, his blood pressure is rising. Maybe he even imagines what he would do to that person. Don't you know the laws? Just put your turning signal on. Respect the people around you. And then he grips the steering wheel. Maybe he yells out, come on, as he's driving. So what just happened? He wanted something good. And he was willing to murder to punish his neighbor because of it. Not really, doesn't matter if the other drivers don't hear him. God sees him. God knows our hearts. But he wanted something good to get to work on time, and he was willing to fight and quarrel. He was willing to punish someone, to murder someone in order to get it. So it doesn't have anything to do with the people who are driving. It doesn't have anything to do with the steering wheel. It doesn't have anything to do with his engine. It doesn't have anything to do with his wife or somebody else or his boss. Or it doesn't really even have anything to do with the time that his boss set that he had to get to work. I want you to get to work at 9 o'clock. Well, now it's your fault because I'm late. No, it's actually my fault because... I'm late. But it comes down to the internal conflict in our hearts manifesting then outwardly into murder. Okay, so that was the first section of that verse. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Okay, things were obviously worse than we thought there. And James tells us something else that's worse than we thought in the second part of that verse. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Okay, and just again, we tend to minimize our sin. We say little white lies. It's not really that big of a deal. I just got a little bit upset. Everybody gets irritated, right? Everybody sins. But James tells us what God says about it, how God defines our behaviors. Okay, so things are worse than you think, uh, just like the first part of the verse. Matthew 5, 5, verses 27 to 30. That is in reference to the adultery passage. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it's easy to justify, well, it's just a thought. It's just an imagination. Nobody's getting hurt by it. But the reality is, as we said before, Jesus says that the lustful desire is tantamount, is equal. It deserves the same kind of punishment at the bar of God as the desire, as the act itself. Okay, so what are two examples? So that, the, your blank then, things are worse than you think, and then B, from coveting to warfare. Because that's really what fighting and quarreling is all about. It's warfare. Fighting can be translated warfare in verse 2, and also can be translated warfare in verse 1a. But two practical examples then of, of coveting and then that ending in fighting and quarreling or warfare. Okay. First one is dad wants to finish the project. I've been there many times. Dad wants to finish the project. Wife comes out to the garage or maybe in the yard and says, it's time for dinner. Well, dad has already decided that this has to get done. I mean, it's getting dark outside and I'm running out of time. Tomorrow, Sunday, I don't really want to work on Sunday because we got guests coming over and and I got Bible study in the evening and it has to get done tonight. And dinner's ready. Well, I didn't know what time dinner was. You didn't didn't give me an hour's notice. Okay, so wife says dinner is ready and then I'll be there in a few minutes. Okay, a few minutes goes by. Wife sends a child out. Uh, Dad, uh, dinner's ready. Oh, okay, I'll be there in a few minutes. Okay, a few minutes go by and they're all sitting at the table waiting for Dad. And then wife comes out again. Honey, it's been a few minutes. You said that you would be there in a few minutes. Well, yeah, will you just stop bothering me? This is important, okay? Okay, so he has now Just like we said before, he has a good desire. It's good to want to get the project done. But he's willing to fight and quarrel with his wife in order to get what he wants. He's willing to war with his wife to get what he wants. Listen to... Proverbs 16, verse 14. Because really, in that situation, he's acting like a king. Well, I have authority, so shouldn't you bow down to me? I mean, it's all, it's, this is all about my plans. It's not about your plans. And it really doesn't even matter if I've been unfaithful to my word. You should be revolving all of your plans around me. Proverbs 16, 14. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. If you would be wise, wife, then you would just appease my wrath. Because I'm angry that dinner is ready and you're not waiting for me. Okay, how about another situation? Mom wants to finish dinner. I do like dinner, so maybe that's the reason why I have two examples about dinner. Okay, mom wants to finish the dinner. And the children are arguing in the other room. Maybe they're arguing over a toy. I had it first. Give it back to me. Well, now mom has to leave the kitchen. She really wants to finish dinner. Maybe dad's coming home sooner. Maybe guests are coming over. She has to leave the kitchen, and she has to go settle the dispute. Okay, she settles the dispute. She goes back to the kitchen. I wanted to watch this show. Oh, he, he has the remote. Give it back to me. Okay, well now she has to leave the kitchen again and she has to settle the, settle the dispute. And she does that and she returns to the kitchen and she knows that she's pressed for time and she knows that dad's coming home soon. She wants to please her husband. That's a good thing. She wants to get dinner ready. She wants to be good, a good housewife, somebody who loves uh, loves, uh Loves her husband by loving his stomach. Okay, she wants that to happen. So, children argue again. And she goes back into the room. And she says, will you just be quiet? Just leave me alone. I need to finish dinner. Okay, at that point now, you have seen the fact that she is willing to engage in warfare with her children Rather than being patient and kind and loving, long-suffering, and training up her children in the way that they should go, and of course the children comply. Whoa, mom's so angry! So I go... well, okay, okay. We'll be we'll be quiet, mom. I'm I'm so sorry. I don't want you to be angry anymore. Okay. Well, it worked, but just because it worked doesn't mean that it's good. Doesn't mean that God is honored doesn't mean that God is pleased. So you have a good, a good desire and you have the wife willing to engage in warfare with her children. Let's move on to our third point on what we can do in order to win the conflict because it really comes down to winning the conflict within. We have to win the conflict in the heart. It's not about primarily it's not these are factors that could influence us but it's not primarily about other people. It's not primarily about the circumstances, it's not primarily about making sure that dinner gets prepared in time or the project needs to get done. And really, this is the goal of James. Remember, remember what he asked in the beginning, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He doesn't say stop it. He doesn't say you just need to get along. He doesn't say you just need to manage it. No, you need to understand the source of it. What did you want in the first place? And then there's going to be real change, at least the beginning of change, once we understand what the source of our conflict is. So that's the goal of James. That should be our, our goal. And like I said before, hopefully this is going to reduce conflict and it's going to, in some cases, eliminate conflict completely in our lives if we really get a handle on, on these principles, okay? So these are some implications. That, so that was your blank, winning the conflict within. These are some implications of, what, uh, of, some implications of the teaching of James. Number one, stop blame-shifting. Stop blame shifting. We had talked about this before, that Adam in the Garden of Eden, after he was confronted by the Lord God with regard to uh, eating the fruit, he said, the, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. It was the woman And then remember 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul was fearing the people. He blamed the people. It was because of the people that I only partially obeyed. So Adam did it in the garden. Saul did it with Samuel. I have obeyed, but it was his fault. Peter did it in his denial. And we need to stop doing it if we're going to really change. So just point the finger to us. This is my fault. It's my fault that I'm in conflict. It's my fault that I'm fighting. Okay, secondly, identify the root desire or fear. Identify the root desire or fear. And sometimes this might not be readily apparent. It might not be very obvious. You might need to think about it. Okay, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So you might need to think seriously about what your desires are. Well, what, what was I really wanting at that point? So you might need to take 20 minutes or 30 minutes or a couple hours to... Think about it, and then you can go back and confess your sin. Okay, the Word of God, that's, that's one way that we can find out if we don't really know what our root desire was or what our fear was. Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and dividing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It can reveal what our intention was. It can reveal what our motives were in the first place. Or Psalm 139, this is a great prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, take your magnifying glass, put it over my heart, and help me to see what was really going on. Okay, thirdly, we shouldn't only stop blame shifting. We shouldn't only identify the root desire of fear, but we should repent and confess to the Lord because that's ultimately who the sin is against, is to the living God. Listen to what David says in his prayer in Psalm 51. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Well, David, you sinned against Uriah. You sinned against Bathsheba. You didn't sin against God. Oh, no. God is the one who made the laws. He made the commandments. And so ultimately, yes, he is the one who we have sinned against. He is the one, God is the one who has told us, to not quarrel and not fight. God is the one who has told us, receive my wisdom, be peacemakers. Sow a harvest of righteousness in peace. And so if we're not sowing a harvest of righteousness in peace, then we are de facto not obeying him. And it needs, of course, to be permanent change too. We can feel badly about, about our actions And then we can just continue doing it over and over and over again. That might be a sign that we haven't actually identified their desire or fear. Okay, fourthly, we need to repent and confess to others. Repent and confess to others. Okay, Matthew 5, chapter... uh, Matthew 5, verses 23 to 24. uh, Jesus talks about leaving your gift at the altar and going and settling a dispute with your brother. If you are offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And then of course also James 5.16. This is at the end of our our book. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. True healing, true change is going to come when we confess our sins to each other. And this goes for repentance confessing our sins to the Lord and also confessing our sins to each other. We need to be real about this. I, I was using my tongue like drawn swords. I, I was engaging in warfare with you. I was willing to fight you in order to get what I wanted. I was willing to punish you because you were not bowing down to me. It sounds extreme, but it's biblical. This, this is the reality So if we take advantage of these, if we think upon them and implement them in our lives, then I I do think that what James talks about at the end of chapter 3 is going to happen. We will have a harvest of righteousness sown in peace. I'll call the worship team up. And we can pray and sing our last song. your father we thank you for the opportunity again to learn from your word and hear the the very accurate statements of James that there is conflict in our hearts we do feel the tension of of wanting to sin but but having a desire to walk in the spirit and we want to remember the words of our lord jesus christ that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and Our external actions are just a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. And so we need you to change our hearts. We need to incline our hearts to you. And so help us to do that through your word. Help us to think honestly and biblically about our problems and to know that you have promised he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. You have promised to change us. And so we pray that you would Keep that promise and fulfill it in us. In Jesus' name, amen.